Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard. But now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. This is Internet Marketing. Hello everyone and welcome to the Internet Marketing Podcast brought to you by Site Visibility. I'm your host Scott Connacht and here with me is Luke Van Der Veer and we're going to be discussing how to execute the rank and rent SEO method. So welcome to the podcast Luke. Hey thanks for having me Scott. No problem actually thank you first of all so the listeners uh, won't know this but when, when did you have your second vaccination was it yesterday? Yeah, yeah, I just had that yesterday. It was a similar reaction to last time. Just, you know, chills and burning up and sore. Oh, man. Yeah, that's why I appreciate you coming on. I know I suffered from the sec- well, the first and the second one. It was pretty rough in those first few days. And for me, actually, for about a week after. So, yeah, I really appreciate you coming on today. And you've got a flight later as well. So it's a particularly busy time for you. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be a busy week. But the good thing is that hopefully you get to enjoy talking about something that I know you're very passionate about, which is rank and rent SEO. So we will be breaking down that method, your history with that, your success with that. But before we do, it's it's interesting actually, because sometimes when I introduce people on the podcast, you know, maybe they have a specific title at a company. But for you, I, I know that you're really interested in helping people in general escape nine to five build passive income. But just as a starting point to introduce yourself, how would you describe what it is you do? Do you give yourself a title for that? A title? Um, I don't know about a title. I, I just <laughs> I teach people how to generate leads for local business owners and create a passive income online so they can quit their jobs. That's uh, that's really what it is. And the you're same a, you're a hero then. Yeah. <laughs> I try to uh, I try to view it like that. If it feels anything like when I quit, it would be an amazing feeling. So I like trying to help other people get that too. Wonderful. And I mean, I want to know that a little bit of the backstory. So, you know, I've got in front of me some of the notes about your experience and um, receiving an MBA in human resources right out of grad school before then joining General Electric as a benefits analyst. And then I really want to know like when did SEO come onto the radar? When did marketing come on the radar? Can you tell me that story? Right, yeah, completely different uh, track <laughs> there, right? I thought, you know, during school, marketing and management, I figured would probably be something I wanted to do. I never really had an idea of, you know, what kind of job I'd enjoy. And I started doing HR, human resources, because I thought, you know, I'm good at it in school anyways. And I thought that would be something fun that I could do. And I took that job at GE. Um, but shortly after starting, 
I, I noticed, you know, the people, the people were really cool. The people are very smart and you had a lot of responsibility, which was cool, but I didn't like the idea of just working, you know, a nine to five job and just having to show up every day and, you know, listen to a boss bark orders at you and just do all this stuff that felt like it doesn't make any impact on anybody. You're in a corporation that has so many layers and a manager reports to this manager reports to another level. Like you have no impact. (laughs) So I didn't really, uh, I didn't like that feeling. And I felt like I was dying inside, just sitting there waiting for five o'clock so I could get out. And I started looking for other ways to, you know, um, kill that job. Like, what can I do to quit and get my time back, get my time freedom and still have some money coming in while I'm young. So I don't have to wait until 65, 70 years old and, you know, potentially be able to retire. So I was looking at a lot of different methods online and I looked at multi-level marketing and network marketing and Facebook advertising and all these different things. And I also found SEO and that's the one I kind of chose out of the bunch. What year are we talking about roughly here? So that would be like 2014, 2015. The idea of passive income, the idea of being a digital nomad type, they were known. So it wasn't like they were unknown. But having said that, there was probably a lot of information at that time about how to build passive income, which can lead to information overload. So I appreciate it's really difficult to kind of cast your mind back to then maybe a little bit. But can you remember the specific resources that you were looking at? I'm really just interested to know when you have that feeling, where do you start? Oh man. I mean, I was just using Google. That's what I was doing. I was using Google and I happened to pop on YouTube and look at some stuff too. And I just remember seeing so many different things and, you know, just being a normal employee, just doing a nine to five job. Like I don't know anybody or well, I didn't know anybody who was in that type of position that I didn't know anybody who's a digital nomad. You know, you see people online, but it almost feels like it's not real because you don't know anybody in your life that's like that, right? Like I don't have a friend of a friend who's you know just off chilling on the beach working off the laptop. So and I'm looking at it online and I'm like, it, it doesn't feel real, but I was trying to find some way I could get that. And the first thing that uh, I tried was the multi-level marketing and it, I thought, you know, maybe, maybe that's the ticket. I could build up this team. I could have the team work and then I could just kind of sit back and relax as the checks roll in. But it turns out it doesn't exactly work like that. You know, Mm. I did that for a few years. In terms of marketing more broadly, you mentioned there was an interest in marketing, but had you had any practical hands-on experience in marketing up until that point? Uh, not really. As far as I'm aware, when I was a kid, I would have like a lemonade stand, you know, yeah. just according to my mother. <laughs> and I had some kind of entrepreneurial uh, inclination, I guess you could say. But no, I didn't really have any kind of special experience. I just thought that might be um, something creative and also business related. It might be a cool thing to go to school for. So that's what I ended up doing. So you mentioned there you tried uh, multi-level marketing. Uh, Were there any other things that you remember, any other kind of disciplines or channels that you remember experimenting with to start off with that maybe just didn't work? And then how did that eventually lead you into SEO? Yeah, yeah. So multi-level marketing was the first attempt. That one was a good three years of that. Um, And I actually built a pretty big team. I recruited like 17 people and I had all these people under me and we're going to all these events. But just traveling all over the country for all these different trainings. And it was just a lot of, a lot of time. 
and I was putting in so much work to earn not that much money. So I was like, this is, this is not worth it. So I stopped doing that and I was looking at other methods online and I found, um, affiliate marketing. So I was trying to do affiliate marketing. I found, um, God, I wish I could remember the name of the website. Um, there's a site where people load their e-commerce products and such, and you can choose one and promote it on their behalf. Right. And I can't remember the name of the site at the moment, but I picked a product off that website and I tried to you know, run some Google ads to it and tried to promote it. And that was very difficult. So that didn't work out. And then I tried, what was another one? Facebook advertising. Yeah. That one was actually kind of cool. There was a lot of YouTube videos on how to do it yourself. So I just sent out screencast videos to some businesses and I was like, Hey, I can do this. Like, even though I had no idea what I was doing, it's like, I could totally do this, hire me and I'll do this for you. I found a couple companies that were willing to kind of try me out and I ran some Facebook ads for them, but it was a lot of management and you'd create an ad and it would start going. And then all of a sudden, you know, after a couple of weeks, it would kind of die down a little bit because the ad wouldn't be quite as effective in the market. Everybody's already seen it. So it would kind of, um, it'd be like ad fatigue and you'd have to recreate everything. So you had to keep doing, you know, more creatives and management. And you know, if you've ever used Facebook advertising, it's a little bit technical. So I wasn't a uh, huge fan of that either. And then I finally tried eBay and Amazon and that was the most successful of the bunch. I actually, um, my roommate at the time, um, wanted to do it with me. So we, we bought a box truck. We started ordering truckloads of products, um, like, um, wholesale products from like Walmart and Target and all of these, um, these other major retailers. And we were reselling those items on eBay and Amazon. And we actually pushed that, that revenue in the first year. We had it up to $35,000 a month. But between, you know, the job, our, our nine to five jobs, and then also trying to do this on the side, we were working seven days a week. So mm -hmm. we had absolutely, you know, no social life, you know, 12, 13 hour days, like actual 12, 13 hour days. Mm -hmm. Um, and it just wasn't, it wasn't worth it. And even with all that money coming in, a lot of that was being reinvested right into the business. So it's not like we were keeping it. Um, it was just going right back in to try to grow it faster. And then eventually I was like, I, I can't, I can't take this either. It's like, I need something that can bring in some money without me having to just sit there and do all this, right? Like you have all this money, you can't enjoy it. How long were you experimenting with some of these other methods before you fell upon rank and rent SEO? Because you mentioned as you were talking there that you were still, you were still testing, still experimenting with a lot of these early marketing techniques and businesses while you were working still. So, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. How, how long was that period that you were experimenting for? Uh, probably three and a half years, just and trying all these different methods. And I, I could not find one that would give me both time and money. It was always one or the other. You'd make a lot of money, you wouldn't have any time, or you'd have all the time in the world, you wouldn't make enough money. Couldn't find something that had both. I just think that's such an important lesson. But, you know, you might not know people in your daily life. You see these people online, you see digital nomads online, people that are building passive income. But generally in your day to day life, it's not too often that you meet these people. So it can feel a little bit unreal. Right. But, you know, there are people like yourself and you worked for three and a half years before you really made a huge breakthrough. I mean, you were making a breakthrough. I think you just said, um, but maybe an unsustainable breakthrough in that period. But it took three and a half years before you fell upon something that was making money, but also that gave you quality of life. Is that fair? 
Yeah. Yep. Just trying all these different business models. You know, it's not every model's right for everybody. And I was mm. trying to find something that was right for me. I mentioned just there, just about not necessarily knowing people, other people that are doing this. And you mentioned that you were working with, um, I think, a housemate, at least in at some point in that period. But where do you find your even motivation or mentorship as you're going through that? Did you find external sources of influence, people that kept you motivated in different industries? Who who helped motivate you or was it all self-motivation that got you through? I mean, I, I met people along the way um, and some of these different ones that I tried, like the, the multi-level marketing company, I was actually introduced to um, by the pizza guy down the street, the dude that owned the pizza shop like a block from my house. We'd get pizza there every Friday night um, and you know, I talked to him pretty frequently. And my thought was, you know, I know his pizza place does $25,000, $30,000 a month. So if he's doing this too, it must be for a reason. So I was like, all right, I'll give it a shot. So that's how I came into the first one. Uh, the other ones were all kind of just self-motivation. I've just never wanted to... Um, I've always been interested in kind of like self-help and learning, you know, what you can do to improve yourself and make yourself more valuable. And the thing I've noticed just listening to different speakers like Tony Robbins and Robert Kiyosaki, all these people, they're always talking about creating a passive income, modeling other people's success, and that any change that you have to make, you have to make it, right? If nothing changes, nothing changes. So you have to be the one to take the initiative to do something. So like, you know, my, my old job, I, I remember employees talking all the time, complaining about the commute, you know, I, oh, I don't like my boss. I don't like the commute. I don't like the hours, all this stuff. And I could join right in and, you know, complain with everybody, but it's not going to help me. Mm. It keeps you complacent and stuck in that spot. So at one point I just had had enough and I, I made up my mind. I'm not going to, you know, accept this anymore. I'll do whatever it takes to get out of this. And if that means I have to work you know, four hours after I get out of my job every day, that's what I'm going to do until I find a way to to do this, to get out and just replace it completely. So finding a way to replace it completely in that three and a half years, as you were experimenting with all these different business models, had SEO been a discipline that you learned in that period? Way at the end. Okay. It was going to be, it was my last shot. I had, I gave up on the eBay and Amazon. I was like, I can't bring on all kind of money, but I just can't do this. I can't work those crazy hours. And I just remember seeing a guy on uh, YouTube. I was just messing around, watching videos, wasting time, really. Um, and I saw a guy who was talking about lead generation. He was standing on, like, in his backyard in this huge house in California, like mansion. And he was just talking about lead generation and how all these local businesses all over the country needed leads. And that's kind of like their lifeblood. And if you could simply provide them leads, you would always be needed, right? Mm -hmm. That skill set. And I was like, this sounds pretty cool. It's like, I know a lot of local business owners all around the area. And it's like, I could start local. So I started looking into um, SEO and eventually stumbled onto that. Typically, at this part of the podcast, we might go into depth about the method. But because I knew that this episode would start off speaking about that kind of history, the context behind how you found Rank and Rent SEO, I'd like to carry on that part of the conversation and just fast forward to today. You've just framed what life was like for three and a half years from 2014-ish and how you fell into learning about SEO and your commitment to the external hours and working on the job. Are you still, as we speak on the podcast today, earning, I guess, your primary income 
from rank and rent SEO? And if so, share whatever you're comfortable with here. But are you, are we talking hundreds of dollars, thousands of dollars? Like what kind of level of lifestyle is rank and rent SEO allowing you to live? Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's completely different than it was. <laughs> um, at this point, my primary income is rank and rent, um, yeah. tens of thousands a month. I have hundreds of those sites and the sites typically run out anywhere from 500 to 1500 a month or more, you know, depending on the niche you pick, sometimes you could rent the sites out up to like 5,000 or more a month. So it's, it's pretty crazy what you can do with, you know, just a few websites. You could easily replace a full-time job, Mm. you know, for the majority of people and get that coveted, you know, hundred thousand dollars a year that everybody wants. It's only, you know, six or seven websites on, you know, pretty average fee. So that's, uh, that's pretty awesome. But yeah, that's life is, uh, life is pretty cool now because I don't, I don't have to work anymore. The money keeps coming in. So, you know, I have my time up to my time freed up to kind of do what I want. I continue building those sites because I I see it as digital real estate. I think it's a great investment. So I can, I keep, you know, building them and doing more. And then I also have a, uh, coaching program, just helping other people, you know, do the same thing I did, quit their jobs so they can enjoy themselves too. When you look back and you were thinking about the kind of life that you wanted to live, how does that compare to actually how you're living today? What are the pros? And if there are any cons, what are the cons? I think it's really just the time difference. I I took different jobs, you know, after school and made enough money where I could pretty much do what I wanted and travel and stuff. But time was always the concern because you would have to ask a boss, right, for the time off, right? I want to go home and see my family for this birthday. I want to go home and go to some party. I want to go to this event. I want to go on family vacation. Whatever I was trying to do, there was always time constraints. And I just never liked the idea of having that. And just being able to you know, have a passive income coming in, I can pretty much do what I want whenever I feel like it. So I schedule everything around whatever I want to do. If I want to go golf for a week straight, uh, go golf. Like I flew down to Savannah, Georgia earlier this year to golf for two weeks. It's, uh, I'd never be able to do that if I had a, a normal job, mm-hmm. right? So I've, I haven't missed any birthday parties, events, family stuff in, I don't know, five years because I, I haven't had to. Did you like that idea of being a digital nomad? Was that part important to you? So I wanted the ability to just have time freedom to do what I want. The travel mm. thing's kind of cool, you know, go visit other countries and such, but I'm kind of a homebody. So my goal wasn't, you know, travel to a hundred different countries over the next couple of years. It was more just be able to go if I want to. And, you know, I've used it mostly to travel within the States because of COVID. But um, yeah, it was, it was really just freeing up time so that I didn't have to be at a set place at a set time and that I don't have to use an alarm if I don't want to. <laughs> because I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but when you when I set that alarm or when I used to set the alarm in the morning, it almost like jolts me out of sleep and I have like a mini heart attack when that thing goes off. Yeah, I definitely don't think it can be good for you. I have had that feeling and I do have that feeling occasionally and I'm with you. I do not I can't, enjoy I it. can't do it. I just can't do it. That thing goes off and I'm like, oh, oh my God. It just snaps you out of this, uh, this nice sleep and now you got to go to work and you're like, ah, oh, here we go again. Right? <laughs> Same thing over and over. And I'm interested in the time commitment part. My assumption is that whenever you start anything new, you front load a lot of your time in learning and experimentation. And then gradually 
the investment of time may ease over time. That's typically what you hear with a lot of uh, people that build passive incomes, particularly marketing orientated passive incomes. How does that work for rank and rent SEO? How does your time compare for when you started to how you're working today? Oh, it's much different now because I have a a set process that I know works and I don't have to spend as much time on it. Hmm. When I originally started doing that, I was spending so much time on it. I would get out of work every night and I was doing, you know, I'd get out of work somewhere between five and six, be back to my apartment, and then I'd be working till midnight, just trying to, you know, get these sites live, write content, do the research, all this stuff. and. I had just kind of decided, like, if this is, oh, here we go with the alarm again. Ready? <laughs> if, if this is what I have to do to, to make this work, you know, whatever, my social life can wait a couple years. So I essentially just gave it up and I was like, all right, let's just go all in on this. You know, skip Monday night football, skip the drinking with the buddies, no more restaurants, no more dating, just, just do this until this works. And I spent so much time on it. I, it was like another job, essentially, trying to get it to work. Mm-hmm. But now, after spending all of that time and, uh, got it, the first year I must have spent 20-something thousand dollars. Everything I earned went from SEO and all that went right back into testing different methods and trying to get it to work better, mm-hmm. faster, you know, more efficiently. So that was rough. But now that I've, I have a process kind of laid out that works... It's five to 10 hours a week is enough to, um, to get some sites going and make a pretty serious income following this. That's interesting. And it can be, I imagine, really tempting when you, know, you fall upon a stream of passive income, you start making that money. One of the easiest things or one of the, I say one of the most difficult things actually is maybe the discipline to reinvest that money in yourself to improve your process for the long term. So, which is something that it sounds like you achieved. You took the money you were making, you re- reinvested it straight into your business and your efficiency. And that allowed you to work less hours on this now as we're speaking in 2021. Is that a fair summary? Yeah. Yeah. But I, w- I will say though, when I, the day that I quit my job and walked out, I kind of lost it a little bit. I I walked out, I had this feeling like just complete freedom, no stress, which is pretty amazing if anybody can experience that. And I got back to my apartment, middle of the morning. I'm like, this is so strange. It was a Tuesday morning. Nobody's around, right? Because everybody's at their jobs. So <laughs> I went to the gym, I came back. I'm like, all right, cool, let's get some pizza. So I got some pizza. I watched you know eight seasons of Entourage in like three days, just binging <laughs> that on HBO. And I was just kind of hanging out. It was almost like being back in college. I just spent two weeks of just doing nothing and kind of enjoying myself. And then uh, toward the end of that, I was like, okay, I I can't just do this forever. I have to come up with some kind of schedule (laughs) going forward. And you mentioned cost there, and you talked about reinvestment of the money back into the business, as did I. And I'm sure because I've been there myself, you look at people that are achieving passive income streams, it sometimes maybe feels unreachable or impossible. What would your message be to anyone out there listening in terms of the rank and rent SEO method that you execute? What do you think are the upfront costs needed to get started in executing the method? Well, in terms of running it, um, you know, the, the costs aren't very high. I compare it to something like real estate, right? Like a lot of people think passive income, they automatically think property. 
And if you think about that, if you want to go buy a property, say a four unit or something, you're looking at probably three, four hundred thousand dollars, maybe more. And if you're not buying it in cash, because a lot of people don't have that in cash, you have to put 20 to 25% down on a loan because it's an investment property. And then you're paying closing and other fees. You have to deal with tenants, finding the right people, make sure they pay. It's a lot of money and it's a lot of headache. And websites are pretty awesome because, you know, domain might be 10 bucks for a year. Hosting might be 50 to 100 bucks for a year. Um, you know, phone, like a phone number, call tracking software, 50 bucks a month, some tools to track website metrics and rank tracking and all that, maybe 100, 150 bucks a month. Aside from that, that's pretty much the main cost. The thing I will say though is that figuring out how to get it to work is a lot. And that'll be a lot of your money wasted and a lot of time wasted unless you find, you know, coaching for that. I have a new philosophy on this and it's if somebody can save me time, I'll pay them whatever I whatever they want. <laughs> because there's there's no point after going through that whole process and wasting all kinds of money and just years trying to figure all this stuff out. If somebody else has it figured out and they have a process that works, I would rather pay them to learn that so that I can get to where I want to go sooner because mm. money always comes back, but time does not, mm. right? You can't buy time. Once that's gone, it's gone. So ideally you want to get out of that job and start enjoying yourself sooner. So you have more of it. Before we get into the actual examples and the breakdown of the, the rank and rent SEO method, can you describe maybe the skills you need? So you said there, as you started that um, you didn't actually have any SEO skills before you started to learn about rank and rent SEO, but you did have some prior experience in maybe entrepreneurship and a little bit of other marketing disciplines. So what's your your thoughts for anyone listening that maybe wants to get started with rank and rent SEO? Do they need to know SEO? Oh, you absolutely have to. You know, the, the whole model is essentially finding a, a valuable opportunity in the market, building a website to take advantage of it, ranking that site to the top and then renting it out to a business. Lots of people build websites and you can make it the most attractive website on the planet. But as soon as it gets published and it indexes in Google, there's so many other businesses out there that you're just buried in the search results with everybody else. Mm. So then you're like every other local business that doesn't know how to get their website to the top. You're just one of a million people that are in the search results that nobody's ever going to see. Right. Cause if you think about it on Google, you type something in, you know, plumber, New York city, plumber, Dallas, who do you pick? You probably pick one of the first few people that pop up. You're not going 10 pages back in the search results. And for anyone listening that really either doesn't know SEO or maybe hasn't heard of the rank and rent SEO method before, maybe can you start breaking that down? So in layman's terms, what is rank and rent SEO? Right. So first thing is we find a niche that's profitable. So that might mean just somewhere in the market where we think there's an opportunity where it doesn't look like there's a lot of competition. So, you know, I'm just making this up off the top of my head. Yep. Let's say, you know, plumber, New York City. Right. So I look at that. It looks like there's an opportunity for me to rank here because the businesses in that particular market and that niche don't look like they're doing a very good job. So if I see that availability, awesome. Now I can build a website to take advantage of it. So I go out there, I build a website with all of the content about plumbing. And now I have to use some search engine optimization, some SEO to take that website and move it from you know, page 20 in Google up to page one 
for some of the primary keywords that people are searching in that market so that people actually visit the website. And then when these customers visit the website and fill out the contact form or call in, that is now a lead. Mm -hmm. So I can take that, give it to a business owner in the market who actually does plumbing, and I can charge him for it. And so maybe it would help if you provide, it could be any examples from websites that you've created, but um, I'm thinking about me as a user. Uh, Let's say, for example, that, that example that you've just shared there, you take a plumber in New York, you type it into Google, you get a localized search result. What kind of domains are you choosing? How do you brand these websites so that you don't, let's say, don't mislead or, yeah, you don't mislead the user and they know where their information is going? Right. So for the for the URL, it's probably going to be a keyword because I want to try to take advantage of that. Google tends to rank website URLs with a keyword higher, just easier. It makes your life easier to rank. So it'll be something like that. Mm-hmm. And the name of the website or the essentially fake company that you're creating mm-hmm. would essentially be the same thing. So for example, you know, NewYorkCityPlumber.com and you know, your website or your company name, New York City Plumbers. So they call up this somewhat generic kind of company name. And the person's not going to know the difference because the call forwards directly to the business owner. So, you know, the customer calls in and the business picks up. We're not involved at all once we set it up. My assumption would be that that might lead to some difficulties. And perhaps have there ever been occasions where you're working in these niches and someone puts in a call, they're thinking it's going to you, it then gets redirected and that causes a problem. Does that ever happen? Um, it's happened a couple times and it's really just when you're trying to find a business owner to work with and send the leads to, they have to be aware of how to handle that. Right. Right. I look at I look at these lead generation websites almost like a DBA, right? Like you could have your company like ABC LLC. And you could be running a plumbing website and have New York City plumbers as your DBA. Um, so when they call in, you know, the person has to know that it's coming from this website so they can answer accordingly. Because if they yeah. answer and say, hey, ABC, the people are going to be like, what? I thought I was calling New York City plumbers. But um, the cool thing about it is the call tracking software that we use has something called a whisper message. And you could actually type in any note that you want the call or that you want to be announced, you know, before the person actually picks up the phone. So, you know, for example, the business owner could pick up and hear a little robot voice that says call from New York city plumbers. Mm. So then he knows the call is coming from there and he can answer New York city plumbers. How could I help you? Right. That makes sense. Okay. So then this, uh, this is a really easy example to use. And one that I suspect you may have, even whether you've worked in this niche or not, I know everything that you're talking through is very applicable to the types of websites that you would have created in the past. So just taking that plumber example, you've talked there about the URL, you've talked about adding content, you've talked a little bit about how the call works and how the redirection works. But how do you actually maybe just starting off with the niche to choose? So how do you identify or how have you identified in the past the gaps in the market to identify where competition is low? Well, the first thing I like to look for is niches that are phone-driven because Hmm. it's easier to generate leads for phone-driven businesses. It's much more difficult to convince somebody to leave their home and to enter a physical location like a store. So first thing is I want to find somebody where you call in, you know, their business is based on people calling them and then scheduling something and they'll come to you. 
right? Like you call the plumber, the plumber comes to you to fix something. Mm-hmm. You call the roofer, the roofer comes to you to fix something. So I like businesses like that. And it tends to be contractors. Those are my favorite ones to work with because those are some of the easiest ones to generate leads for. Just right. the majority are phone driven. A lot of them do not have quite as good of marketing as, you know, like a lawyer or a real estate agent. So it's going to make it a little bit easier. Um, so first thing is phone driven. Second one, there's some things with a niche. So in one city, one niche might be super competitive and another, you know, maybe it's not. So you have to look around in the different areas to see where it changes. Seasonality has an impact. So, you know, some services are only active during certain parts of the year, like snow removal. I did Mm -hmm. a, I did a website for snow removal, but then people are only renting it out for three, four months. And the rest of the year, it's just sitting there not getting any money, right? So you got to think about like what market it is, what kind of climate it is, and whether that fits. And, you know, some places, the services aren't even offered there. Like if we're looking at Hawaii, obviously snow removal is not there at all. And then uh, what else? Sales cycle. Sales cycle is another good one. So, you know, longer sales cycle for whatever the service is means it's going to take the business longer to get paid. And because of that, it's going to take longer to rent out your website because you want something where, you know, you send over a lead today and they can close them today or tomorrow and maybe do an estimate, you know, today or tomorrow and already get paid off it. So then you can say, hey, look, it worked. And then come up with a deal with that company. But if you take something like, say, pool construction, for example, if somebody wants to get a pool put in, they have to go through a design phase, which takes you know thirty days, a couple months. They have to go plan everything out. They have to construct it. Like it's going to be a long time for that business to get paid on that lead. So now it's delaying, you know, how long it takes me to get paid off that website if I'm trying to rent it out. You just talked there about renting it out. So um, we'll get to the content in a minute and maybe content production. But how do you identify the businesses to rent to? So one of the easiest ways to do that is to look at the businesses that are already paying for leads. Um, I look at it like this. Why try to convince somebody who doesn't invest in their business to just start with you, right? Mm. It's it's an uphill battle. I'd rather yep. find somebody who's already paying and just try to shift some of that money to me. So a good example is like Google Ads. If you do any search on Google, you know, Plumber New York City, for example, mm. you'll probably see a few businesses right at the top of the search results and it, it'll say ad, like people running ads for plumbing. And if you scroll down to the bottom, you'll probably see a few more ads. And then page two, you'll see some more ads. All of those businesses believe that if they pay you know, X amount of dollars per click for this advertising, they're going to make some money back. So that's a great business to call because I know that they're actively spending money on you know, leads to grow their business. Mm. And if I reach out to them, organic leads, things that just come through from, you know, doing SEO, just come through naturally. If you show up in the search results, those leads tend to close at a much higher rate than if you paid for it, like with ads. So those are great leads. And if they try, you know, the organic leads, they're not going to want to go back to paid. But I start out with people who are already paying for leads, whether it's Google ads, or, you know, contractors that are using HomeAdvisor, Thumbtack, any of these paid lead services, or even Groupon. Groupon's a great one. You'll mm-hmm. see really, really big deals on there. Like I saw a plumber one time, the normal service, I know just from researching it, 
It's like 150 bucks. And he was doing a deal for like 35. Just try to get, you know, customers in the door. But you know that that business owner doesn't want to do that. He's just trying to get people in the door. But if he would have the opportunity to get some leads and not have to discount his service by $115, he would absolutely take that and try it out for a week. (laughs) What are some of the common objections or obstacles that you face when connecting with these businesses for the first time when contacting them? So we talked to that, let's say, for example, the Plumber New York example that you've identified they're already advertising. How do you reach out to them? So what medium do you call them? Is it email? And then, yeah, maybe what obstacles come up that are commonly occurring for you? Yeah, I've I've essentially used, I have scripts and things, whether it's email or Facebook or whether we find them on Craigslist and different methods. But one of yeah. my favorite things to do is just call. And I think the main thing that's the most difficult is just building a little trust. Because when mm. you get a call from a random person as the business owner, you're expecting it to be some other you know telemarketer because all day long, they're just getting bombarded with calls. You know, hey, pay us X amount of money and we'll get your website to the top. Um, and the way to differentiate is to provide some value in advance. So one of the things I like to do is just call up and have a conversation and say, hey, listen, I'm generating leads in this market for you know, plumbers in New York City. And you know, I had a bunch of people call me for this. Can I refer these to you? I mean, occasionally you get the person that's like, I don't understand. What are you doing? Mm. And that's where you could just explain exactly what you're doing. Like, hey, listen, I, I build these websites. I rent them out to businesses. Um, and that's how I create my income. And, you know, at the moment, I'm still working on it. So, you know, while I'm still working on my site, if you want some free leads in the meantime, you know, I'd love to just send some people your way as long as you can take care of them. And how long do you rent uh, rent some of these sites? And maybe what other common questions come up? I'm thinking for myself, if I was in that position, one of the first questions I'd likely ask is, how many leads do you generate? I assume that's a common question. Then probably how much does this cost? And how long is the commitment? Maybe if you could answer some of those questions. Yeah. So in terms of you know um, lead volume, it, you could really do whatever you want in terms of like when to rent it out. You could do it up front and just before anything comes in, kind of set up an arrangement with somebody just so you have somewhere to send the leads. Um, or you could wait until all the leads are coming in. And it's, I really just want to see that the person gets a few leads from me, you know, three, four leads, something like that over the course of a few days just to build up that trust because everybody else is asking them for money before they deliver any value. Mm-hmm. I'm giving this person value before I ask for anything. And if I can, you know, build that relationship a little bit, provide some value, they're like, wow, this this guy's actually pretty cool. He does what he says he can do. You know, I, I'd love to work with you. W- what's it going to be? You know, how much do I have to pay you? Right. I don't even have to bring up the fees because they're usually the ones that are asking. Do you have a preference for yourself about the length of commitment? I'm, I'm assuming the longer commitment for you, the better, but does it always work out that way? So I've actually never used any kind of, um, well, that's a lie. I've, I've used a commitment maybe one or twelve, one or two times, like right. set up some kind of, you know, deal where it was like a six month contract, one yeah. year contract. But more recently, I've, I haven't been doing that because what I found is if you're providing, um, consistent leads, the people are going to stick around. Occasionally oh. you'll have something where, you know, maybe a company gets acquired and they don't want it anymore. Like I had that happen oh, with a liquidation website I built. The, um, <laughs> They were taking the leads for a long time. The company got acquired and then that 
person just wanted to build their own marketing department. So they just kind of cut off ties with every lead generation company they're working with, which apparently was me and other ones. But aside from, you know, a random one-off scenario like that, most of these people will, you know, just keep you long-term and you don't really have to worry about it. You're in control of the website. So if at some point they decide they don't want to pay you, you know, I can just go find another person in a couple of days who wants the leads because there's businesses all over that need what you do. It's just, um, you know, whether or not they know about you. Is there any preference in terms of website platform or CMS that you use to build sites? Because again, going into this, my assumption is that you want an easy, hassle-free way to manage and build websites. Yeah. Yeah. I like drag and drop builders. Yeah. I know a lot of people like WordPress and it's the most popular template on the planet um, or builder on the planet, but it's more complicated than it has to be. And if mm. you use a, a drag and drop builder like Weebly or Wix, it's pretty easy to get what you need to do done in a relatively short amount of time, right? You could build a website in 10 minutes. You could use mm. one of their pre-done templates, just paste in your content and hit publish. Where, you know, if I did WordPress, I have to install it. Then I got to go in and find a theme. Then I got to add all these plugins. And you have to make sure the the user access is set up correctly. And then you also have to make sure it's updated all the time. Mm. So if I do use WordPress, I'll add a little bit of custom code in there. So it updates itself automatically because I don't want to deal with it. But <laughs> um, the, the drag and drop builders are much easier, in my opinion, to make mm. it go faster. And you, just, you don't have to worry about the other stuff over the years is it getting more difficult to execute this method or is there a way that you've managed to make it efficient and productive for yourself i think it stayed relatively similar um, particularly because of the markets i'm picking if we're sticking with those low-hanging fruit markets the ones that are a little bit easier to rank in the same method that worked back then still works now i'm you Mm. know thousand words, 1500 words in a homepage, you know, some service pages and about a contact. There's a lot of websites out there that have thousands and thousands of pages and all this other stuff, but most local businesses don't. So if you're sticking to a, a low, like a small market where the competition's not very great, you're competing against websites that haven't been updated in years. Like there's right. people with like a one page kind of block that, uh, that doesn't even resize. And you know, you could throw up a website with and kind of half half do it, and you're still going to beat that person mm. um, if you have any kind of ranking ability at all. Um, so it's really the markets that you choose, I think, that affects it, right? Like, I'm mm. not trying to go for a personal injury lawyer. I'm not going after some crazy competitive national keyword. I'm choosing something like you know plumbing in some random city between you know fifty and four hundred thousand people, and that will allow me to get those same results I did before without um, having to build out some huge website to do it. I used Plumber as an example just because people know what it is, but it's probably not one I would do. Mm. There's uh, there's a lot of cool ones. Like Vehicle Wraps was an interesting one. Yeah. I had never even heard of that. I saw a truck go by you know, with the wrap and advertising a wrap company. And mm. I was like, that's a cool one. So I went into that and I got great results really fast. There's just uh, there's a lot of unique ones out there, and you can go to a website like HomeAdvisor, Thumbtack, and look at the services that people hire for. Mm. There's thousands of niches on there that you'd never think of, right? Yeah. So every time I'm out and about, I'm I'm looking now to see what's out there. I'm looking at billboards, I'm looking at other people's vehicles, and just all around, and you'll start to notice all these different 
niches that you could possibly do. Even people that are advertising in the paper. I know it's super old school, mm. but uh, you know, like my parents here, for example, I'm at their house today. Their uh, their paper has a whole section in the back of all the business ads. And I was looking through that. There's all kinds of stuff in there: carpentry and you know, concrete, masonry. There's a lot of great niches in there that you could do. So mm. then you just do the research and see whether or not it's you know low competition in different areas of the country. I've spoken on the podcast a lot in the past about curiosity and it's the important role it plays in marketing. And there's a tendency, just particularly in this day and age of software and services and automation, to want to automate everything. And perhaps, I mean, I've seen in the past looking at passive income related content resources, so much emphasis placed on things like keyword research tools to identify niches. But I've also spoken a lot on this podcast before about people that have built their careers purely born out of these sparks of curiosity. And it sounds like I asked earlier, maybe what skills are involved and you said, Hey, SEO is a a necessary uh, skill. It's, you know, of utmost importance, but it sounds like curiosity is equally as important uh, and observation, maybe alertness, because you need to find a way to habitually identify trends so that you can continue to build and execute on this method. Is that fair? Yeah, I mean, a a little bit of curiosity. I think the thing I would say that's more is just the ability to kind of take your gut feel from something and then Mm -hmm. just go for it and be willing to tweak your strategy as you go, right? Because it's probably not going to be perfect. The niche you pick might not be the ideal one, right? Maybe we could hedge our bets and do multiple, Mm -hmm. right? Like when I started, I did six different ones at once. I picked a bunch of different, well, five, two websites in one niche and then the other ones. And I just launched all of them because I figured this one might not work out, but maybe this other one will. And then just kind of start going and then see what happens and tweak your strategy as you go. And in terms of the content production side, I'm going to assume that a lot of listeners that listen to this podcast are familiar with kind of how to build out long form content in the the way you kind of discussed earlier. So I'm going to kind of skip that part, but I am interested to know in terms of that content production, do you work on the content production side of things yourself or is that a part that you outsource? Oh, no, I outsource everything now. Um, originally, I did everything myself just to kind of learn it. I think that's the best way to learn. Just do it yourself and mm. kind of pick it up like that. But uh, it's painful <laughs> for me to write content. So now I, I pay for people to do all of it now. And how about AI copywriting? Is that factoring into any of your experimentation at all? Uh, I haven't done a ton with that yet, just because the couple ones I tested, I was not a fan of at all. Um, But it is something I'm going to be looking at relatively soon to see if I can kind of keep my virtual assistants that do some writing for me, but maybe use the tool to shortcut the process a little bit and make them write a little bit faster. But haven't done enough testing on it yet to really see whether or not I want to use that going forward. Just a final question in closing. So uh, I keep using the phrase fallen upon, and it does sound like through experimentation, you did fall upon the rank and rent SEO method, but I don't want to dismiss the hard work that you put in. It's not entirely luck. It's through the creation of habit and the commitment to entrepreneurialism that led you to what you're doing now. But it sounds like you've built a lot of sites. You're still making income. Are you experimenting in other areas of marketing to build passive income right now? Is that something that you do alongside the rank and rent SEO method to build multiple streams of income? 
And just in closing, is there anything that you can maybe talk about that you think is a really interesting passive income stream within marketing, just beyond rank and rent SEO? Sure. So most of the, well, my income is entirely rank and rent SEO. And then again, I also have the coaching program. But what I've been doing recently is trying to take some of that online money and you know, hedge my risk a little bit and put it into property, right? right. So I, I mentioned that, you know, physical real estate is kind of a pain and it is, but it's also something that, you know, you can definitely do. So I, I built up this rank and rent income and I've been funneling some of that money into buying, you know, properties. And I was going to buy a, uh, a car wash in our local area, but <laughs> it turns out that, the cost is not worth it. Um, so it'll probably just be more property for now. And in terms of other methods of you know making income online, I mean, Facebook advertising was a good one if you could train people to do the majority of the work. Like if, if you set up some systems and processes, like I have a friend who does Facebook ads mm-hmm. and he essentially just talks to clients, brings them on and then his team takes care of the rest. So if you've created SOPs and a whole process and laid it out, broken it down for your VAs to kind of handle it for you, that can be a pretty much passive stream. Um, different, a little bit different from rank and rent, but I don't do anything online other than rank and rent. I just don't see the point with, um, you know, the, the time and money trade off. And you've given a lot of useful free information in this podcast today. So thanks so much for spending this time with me. But you've mentioned the coaching aspect of what you do. So in closing, do you want to let our listeners know where they can find out more about you, Rank and Rent SEO? And then if they're interested in expanding on this conversation and perhaps learning from you more directly, where can they find you? Sure. Yeah. So website rentalcoaching.com is my website that's got a webinar that walks through the whole rank and rent process. It'll be a lot of the stuff we talked about today and you'll get to see a visual on it. So you'll see some of the websites it's working on, you know, how the leads come in, what happens with the businesses. And it also goes through some of the pros and cons just so you're fully aware of, you know, what comes with that type of business model because not every business model is going to be perfect, right? And you got to find something that works for you. Um, but website rentalcoaching.com is the place to go. Um, you can definitely connect with me there. And I also have a free Facebook group around website rental coaching, but it's referenced right on the site. So I'd say go to the site, check it out. And then if you have any interest, uh, you know, join the group and maybe I'll see you on a, on a call. Wonderful. For now, Luke, I'll just say thanks so much for your time. And this has been the internet marketing podcast. Take care. If you want to understand how marketing is changing and how that will affect your brand, you need Future Proof, the podcast from Kantar that tells you how to find growth. Created in conjunction with Side Business School at Oxford University, the Future Proof podcast provides a unique perspective on what truly makes a difference. To understand what's winning in marketing, subscribe to Future Proof, the Kantar podcast now. Are you ready to enhance your future in tech? Then it's time to make your move to the UK. The nation that has more tech unicorns than France, Germany and Sweden combined. 
the nation that was third in the world to have a $1 trillion tech sector valuation. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent to see how you can work, live and move to the UK.